Want to become successful in your personal and professional life? Learn the secrets of success, how to build atomic habits for improved productivity and develop a growth mindset with me, your mindset and success coach, Omar Qadri, and my fabulous guests that range from CEOs, entrepreneurs, life coaches, sports coaches, international sports athletes, and researchers right here on your favorite show called The Secrets of Greatness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of this series called Secrets of Greatness. My name is Omar, and first things first, if you haven't already subscribed, please, please, please do so. And do not forget to hit the thumbs up button and write your uh, key takeaways from this amazing episode in the comment section below. All right. So now that we have all the housekeeping stuff out of the way, I want to give a very, very warm welcome to our very special guest of today's episode. He is a multi-award winning marketing guru and an accomplished entrepreneur, a dynamic and global keynote speaker as well. In fact, he has spoken at TEDx twice. Yep, twice. He is the author of an Amazon bestseller book called The Burnout Gamble. And he's also a partner at Skills Camp, which is a school for building soft skills. And if this list isn't exhaustive enough, he is also a lecturer at the Ryerson University in downtown Toronto and the managing director of Student Life Network. Please join me in welcoming the very awesome, the very kind, and the very charismatic Hamza Khan. Hamza, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Like, dude, that list is so incredible. Like, at such a young age, you have accomplished so much. Like, just hope you don't get burned out. You see what I did there? <laughs> Still a long way to go, man. And, uh, you know, it's weird that right before we went live, we were talking about how you and I have similar personalities and that we don't respond well to uh, 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 praise about us. And, um, you know, when I heard that list, anytime it's recited, whether it is through uh, a podcast scenario just yeah. like this, another media appearance, speaking, writing, teaching, anytime I'm introduced by somebody else, it's always like a, whoa. Is that me moment? Because I never quite feel like the person that is described to me. Um, and that's a challenge, man. That's a challenge. And, and I'm glad that we have an opportunity to unpack that and other topics on this podcast recording today. So thank you so much, man. Hamza, you ready for this, bro? Let's go, man. All right, let's do this. Um, Hamza, since this series is talking about success and greatness, let's touch on this subject of productivity, right? Um, you, of course, if anybody who wants to be successful in this world, they have to find ways to be productive in whatever they're doing, right? And in fact, you teach productivity, from what I know, to different students in different workshop settings or at Ryerson. So first off, can you tell us, tell me and the audience, how did you discover these productivity hacks in the first place and share with us some, uh, some of these... Uh, tips that to make us productive as well? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I had to become productive. Like I, it had to come out of sheer necessity because uh, I, I have a tendency to procrastinate. I am hands down the worst procrastinator that I know. Uh, left to my own devices, literally, I will do nothing. I have a, I don't know if self-destructive is the right word, but I have 
an inner desire to mm-hmm. to not work, to not to not engage in productive activities. And so I had to create a productivity system to override my default programming. Does that make sense? It, it certainly does. What what motivated you? I, I'm I'm wondering, like, because a lot of times I've experienced, I've worked with youth, young professionals, students getting into university, they never even have that realization or motivation to create a system. So what was your motivation to get to that point when you had that realization? You know what? I'm, I'm actually going to dig, dig, in, dig deep and, sure, and, and please. bring up a story that I don't think I've ever talked about on a podcast. So I used to be in the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, I joined as soon as I could. I was just really eager to get away from my circumstances. I was running away in some ways from, from responsibility because I joined during the transition from high school to post-secondary. And honestly, I didn't want to go to post-secondary. Didn't want to go to college. Didn't want to go to university. It just didn't make sense to me, which is ironic considering what my career would become years later. And yeah, I, I remember that. that I felt a lot of pressure. Uh, and I think the pressure was well-intentioned to become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. You know, Omar, I know that you can relate. Of course. South, South, South Asian parents, right? South meant, Asian parents. It meant the best for me, but I, I just didn't want to do it. And so I think going to the military was a personal development exercise masked as a professional one. And I joined. And within the first couple of months, uh, we had this exercise that saw us as a fire team of five mm-hmm. dropped into a forest and we had to get out of the forest. We had to use all the skills that we had developed during basic military qualification, or I think this was SQ soldier qualification, and use it to literally get ourselves out of an adverse scenario. And man, my team fell apart. Like we started fighting and bickering and we did nothing. We were just, we, we, we I think, Un, unbeknownst to us at the time, we all had similar personalities. We all had a tendency to do nothing. But when you are in an adverse scenario like that one, mm-hmm. when it starts getting dark, starts getting cold, when you start running out of food and water, and then when you start hearing the howls of wolves or who knows, Baba Yaga herself, that's when sort of you have to dig deep and summon this version of yourself. You have to default to your subconscious mind, you have to trust the leadership substructure that you have built thus far to navigate out of a scenario. Mm -hmm. And so we had to get our shit together, excuse my language, and find a way to work together, to organize ourselves, and to make progress from point A towards point B. And we eventually got out, but that gave me a very vivid understanding that the things that allowed us to get out of that scenario can be replicated. That you as a human being can create constraints to unlock that fight, flight, or freeze response that prompts you into action. So in order for me to get away from that version of myself that was slowly sliding into the worst version of myself, because again, had I not been productive, man, I think I would be, I would be broke. Mm-hmm. I would be miserable. I would be resentful. I would be out of shape. I would not have the good things in my life that I have right now. I, I, I'm certain of that. That if left to my own devices, I would devolve and become the worst version of myself. So in order to develop the impetus, A, and then the motivation and sustained trajectory towards a better version of myself, I had to create a productivity system. Right. No, that's beautiful. I mean, they talk about experiential learning. You had that. Literally, it was the truest experiential learning that anyone could get, like throw you in the forest. (laughs) <laughs> and like, hey, get figure it out, right? Like, it was literally like, do or die. 
Literally. Um, and I think that's amazing. Uh, that kind of motivated you towards figuring out, I guess, that experience um, helped you figure out, like, you know what, if this is something I can replicate in this kind of do or die scenario, I think it can be replicated in other aspects of my life. Right. Agreed. Yeah. And, that, and that's amazing. So for those of you listening and who, who, who feel that you're not productive enough, right? There's always that there's always something inside you as Hamza found through those adversities or through those challenges, you will automatically find the motivation to create those systems for you. And in case you can't create it for you, we have Hamza right now who will probably share some tips on productivity hacks that he talks about with other students as well. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think you put it really well, Amr. So I will say like once, once you commit to building a productivity system, it has to be structured and that's going to require creating a con, an, an, an environment that is conducive mm-hmm. to productivity. So I'm going to break it down for you guys. First Please. of all, you need a productivity system. And I think the productivity system you should develop has been crystallized by an author by the name of David Allen, the founder of the Getting Things Done philosophy, which is another book, probably a close second to amusing ourselves to death in terms of before and after books. And he talks about four distinct stages of productivity, capture, process, do, and review. Let me break it down, right? When it comes to capturing, what you want to do is take in life's random inputs. And I'm going to use this podcast as an example, right? Sure. Life's random inputs. I was going about my life and then I got a message from Omer saying, hey, do you want to be on a podcast together? And I said, okay, yeah, for sure. Now, I could either say, yeah, for sure, and then forget about it tomorrow, or I can capture it. So I have a notebook. I, I use sticky, sticky notes. I have a note app on my phone. You might use Google, Google um, Keep, Evernote, whatever you use. You just need a place to physically transpose an idea, to literally pluck it out of the ether and put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Once you capture it, then you need to process it and figure out sort of what the action step is from there. So I use a to-do list. This could be physical. This could be digital. I personally use digital. I use Asana. So the task that I made for myself was organize, or I think it was um, uh, schedule and prepare for Secrets of Greatness podcast with Omer. So that was the to-do list. But it wasn't enough to just write out the task. I also needed to figure out when in time and space I was going to do it. That's when the do stage comes in and you need to use a calendar for that. And so this could be also physical or digital. I personally use Google Calendar. In my calendar, I booked off today's date, today's time, and now I had a task and a corresponding calendar event. Then that gave me the structure that I needed to resist my tendency to procrastinate and do nothing and then trust that on this day at this time, I would have to show up. And these are the things that I would need to do in advance of the talk in advance of the podcast to make sure that I have the insights that you are hearing today to, so that I'm not winging it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not just showing up and, and blurting things out that I've actually thought about this in advance. And I've got pages and pages of notes that I've went into the preparation of this podcast so that I can be the best guest for you, sir, because I know you are showing up similarly as the best host. And then the fourth and final stage is review. And I use a journal. I use a physical journal. I use something by intelligent change called the five minute journal, which allows me to sort of reconcile my, my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then real quick, Omar, I'm, I promise I'm not going to spend no, too no, much no, time. No, 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 please this. take your time. <laughs> when it comes to creating the ideal environment that is conducive to productivity, what you want to do is establish set working hours. And then you want to change your location and, and dress up. And I'm talking about specifically within COVID, right? Yeah. Change your location, dress up, build a routine and try to stick to it take regular breaks or you will be broken and then limit your distraction. And I can go into any of those in as little or as much detail as you'd like, but I thought I'd just give you like the top level solutions 
when it comes to building a, an, an environment that is conducive to productivity? And I think the absolutely, it's so amazing you, the way you broke it down. I really loved it. You, you simplified something so complex in, 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 four, in four different categories, right? And I, I really, really loved it. And I think the whole, um, even with the example, I love the fact that you used an example and you just didn't throw a theory at us. Like, here, here you go. Here's a framework. Just go and do it. You know, you gave the example of this particular podcast. And I think that is very useful to, for, and especially for the young ones to really understand and uh, break it down. And hopefully, you, if you are listening to it, you, you can actually implement it because it's not that difficult to implement if you think about it, right? It's right. not rocket science. Absolutely, it's not rocket science. It takes motivation a little bit motivation and it just takes you know that creating like commitment to that system commitment to your own personal self to really take that step and do those things that Hamza spoke about right. so Hamza that's amazing man thank you so much for for sharing that um in terms of um um you know we are talking about the youth right uh one of the key uh, experience or learnings that I've had when I, whenever I have spoken to our youth um, is this constant um, saying that, hey, Omar, you know, I want to be a great leader of tomorrow, right? I want to do this, this, this. And there's always this notion of like becoming great leaders. I want to know, how does Hamza Khan define leadership? And for the youth who are watching, Hamza, do you have any kind of like message or any tips, any actionable, um, yeah, ac actionable tip that they can use to get on that path to being good, not sorry, not good, great leaders? That's an excellent question, man. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. My definition of leadership currently, because I understand that leadership is a growing, um, constantly evolving discipline that with more time and more exposure to and more experience within I refine the definition of so the definition I'm giving you is constrained to this particular time and space leadership is the ability to inspire and execute movement from one state to another mm -hmm. and in this way you can be a leader of yourself like the way I was when I was stuck in the forest in, in the reserves many, many years ago. You could be a leader of your family, like I was through some difficult scenarios that we went through, leader of your friends, if you're organizing them, let's say even for something simple like yeah. a soccer game. Uh, you could be a leader of a student organization. You could be a leader of a Fortune 500 company or heck, a leader of an entire country. Now to get on the path to becoming, you said, a great leader, you've got to cultivate, I think, a few key skills. And one of them is the ability to predict the future but not in some magical or supernatural way, but to be abreast of what's happening in the world, to, to be well-informed, to mm -hmm. be well-read, to have creative ideas about where the world is going to go, to have a, a, a well-formed hypothesis, not just a guess or a hunch. You know, everybody has an attitude, everybody has an opinion, but I think what separates the leaders from everybody else is they have a calculated guess, a estimation of where the world is going to go that is informed by perspective and data. Then you need the ability to inspire trust in others. And that comes from, I would say, things like keeping your word, being good at what you do and serving others. And then last but not least, my man, you need resilience. And this is the closest thing that I think we have to a superpower as human beings. It's our ability to adapt to and withstand stress. Now, with that being said, 
like I said, leadership is fluid. It is an evolving concept. And I think COVID-19 has made it clear to me that some of the old models of leadership, namely that autocratic command and control top-down type of leadership is not going to last. Leaders of the future, the youth that are listening to this, should learn as quickly as possible how to embrace change, how to make change the constant, and then to actually execute and navigate on that change. As well, augment your leadership style with, I think, four key values, um, diversity, empathy, servitude, and innovation. And I think that's how leaders can thrive in the future of work and be great. That's beautifully said. I think that's wonderful because I think you gave us the elements, you gave us the ingredients. Um, one thing I always, one of the simplest way, and I think you touched on this aspect as well. One of the simplest thing I always tell the youth that I um, work with or the young professionals that I work with is find a way to serve others. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, somebody in your company. It doesn't have to be somebody in your school. It could be somebody in the family. It could be somebody, a friend. And you said the same thing, I think, right? Like you can be the leader of your own self as well, right? Like how you were the leader of and, your own self, right? And, and to be- that point, to that point, man, sorry to cut you off. No, no, you reminded please. me very quickly of a quote from Zig Ziglar who said, you can have everything in life you want if you will help other people get what they want. And I think that is just eternal advice. And, and, and Zig Ziglar was inspired by some of the great thinkers who have been inspired by mm-hmm. divine, if you will, experiences to channel that in such a succinct yeah. way in the English language. And I think that speaks volumes to what you just said right now. Servitude seems to be a discipline or at least a, a, an attribute of leaders that yeah. we, as that, that, that for whatever reason in the last decade seems to have diminished from the leadership landscape. I think that what, what types of leaders we lionized and put at the pantheon of exemplary, exemplary leadership, I don't think they necessarily yeah. practice servitude. But now, like I said, COVID-19 is revealing that the leaders who are effective in this time of adversity are the ones who open up their hearts, like Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand, yeah. like uh, Sana Marin in Finland, uh, you know, even our leaders over here, Justin Trudeau, yeah, Doug absolutely. Ford. I mean, these are leaders who are approaching their role with a level of servitude that is then inspiring trust in the people that they serve. And, you know, I think it'll, I think it'll bode well for all four of those people just to give some quick examples. No, absolutely. And I think the other thing I really loved what you mentioned, Hamza, is the fact that for this generation, for the 21st century, especially for the youth who are listening and you want to be that great leader of tomorrow, you've got to have that vision, that ability to predict the future and be able, and, and not in a hunch way, but be more informed. So Hamza, how would a youth go about doing that? How can somebody go about, um, you know, um, being more informed about the future, for example? Any Excellent question, that? man. If you are not reading every single day, mm-hmm. I think you are placing yourself at a massive disadvantage. Yeah. I finish at least a book a week, at least. Uh, at, on my best, I finish two books a week. Um, nowadays I'm averaging one, which is still good. Uh, I also listen to a lot of book summaries on Blinkist. I listen to audible books at two times the speed so I can consume more information. Honestly, books feel like a cheat code in life. It feels like anytime you open up a book that you are getting somebody's best expression of ideas and research distilled into a very consumable, easy to read, hopefully format that gives you the 
perspective that challenges your ways of thinking, that introduces new ways of thinking, that gives you tools and insights that people who don't read don't have. Yeah. And it expands that mental bandwidth. And if you let your mental bandwidth close and become smaller, then you become less able to navigate change because fewer good ideas, let alone fewer ideas in the first place, enter into your brain. And if you don't constantly renew yourself, if you are not thinking about things in new and exciting and different and challenging ways, then when the moment happens in which you are required to make the change, you will have less experience, less tools, you will have rehearsed fewer scenarios, and therefore your likelihood of succeeding in that moment will dramatically go down. So you might think that reading one book a week, or and don't hold yourself to that standard, that's, that's what I've cultivated over time. Make sure that you are at least reading something every single day. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about reading tweets or Reddit comments or YouTube comments or the text on a video game. Like, subject yourself to reading a great piece of literature, fiction, nonfiction. Expand your mind and allow that mental bandwidth to open because as long as that channel is open, new ideas can enter, they can be toyed with, and they can clink around in your head. And you can then distill and extract the values, the attributes, the ideas, the, 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 the perspectives, the viewpoints that will make you a more prepared person for when the moment of change arrives. You'll be able to see further into the future because you've allowed these other perspectives to guide you and to enter into your subconscious. I couldn't agree more with that. Like if you want to be, a, be able to predict that future, guys, read. Just like Hamza said, start reading books, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, start reading. I think I can say it from my personal experience as well, Hamza. Um, I started reading again um, three years ago, right? Wow. And that change really, really helped me make a lot of transformation, not just in my uh, professional life, but in fact, also in my personal life, um, being more self-aware, getting a better understanding of who I am, all those kind of uh, soft skills that we talk about. Yeah, man. I got a lot of that, a lot of that from the books that I was reading, from the podcasts that I was listening right. to. So, you know, guys, surround yourself with good input of data, whether it's through books, podcasts, or even if, if you don't want to start, I, I would even go and recommend like start watching if, you, if you're a Netflix fan. There's so much good stuff on Netflix, like the Explain series, huge, for huge. example. Uh, um, inside Bill's brain. Bill's brain, that. yeah. That was Who amazing, right? Too, right? Yeah, exactly. He reads like what? I, a, books a day. Books a day. A book a day. Yeah. He ta- apparently, he takes a um, a week off and goes to his cottage, and uh, uh, you know, he just like just spends that entire seven days reading. That's it. Yeah, man. So that's it's, it's incredible. It is. That's it incredible. is the competitive advantage. And if you are not reading, I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, don't even, don't even, don't even take it from me, man. You're just going to see, you're going to see it in your life. I, I, nobody, nobody ever became less successful by reading. Right? <laughs> that's, that's actually very nice. Nobody ever became, there's no way of you failing after reading a book. It's, it, and it's, it's not wasted time. It's an investment in yeah. time. You're not spending time. You're actually investing in investing. yourself. And, and the benefits of the book are not going to happen immediately. If they happen immediately, fantastic. But I think that the success that comes from investing in education and knowledge is, uh, it has a lagging success indicator. I am benefiting today from books that I read 10 years ago. 
exactly that's 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 so well put man on on that topic of books Hamza you are an accomplished author you have written a very successful book called the burnout gamble there you go there it is right exactly um so tell us a little bit of what's what's your story how did you get into that and what motivated you to write a book and in, not just an article right like sometimes i struggle to write an article you wrote an entire book on a topic that i feel this is just my feeling my that i feel does not get enough attention Wow, man. I mean, you, you've, you've asked me here to sort of open up about my, one of my life's biggest projects. And so I, I yes, will please. do my very best to keep this succinct. I have struggled with stress for my entire life. Uh, I never had a good relationship with stress. I was always an overachiever. I always worked very hard because again, I had to overcompensate for the inner procrastinator. And so my manifestation of work stood in direct opposition, almost extreme to that imposter, so that, that an imposter as well, but to that procrastinator. So if I was by default, very lazy, very reluctant to work, when I was productive, I worked so hard and I really, really applied myself. And at some point I even got hypnotized by the hustle culture that was prevalent in the early 2000s, early 2010s. And so I burned out in high school, I burned out in post-secondary, I burned out in my internship, my early career, but it really caught up to me when I was a young leader working at Ryerson University and I experienced the last, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, the last episode of burnout. Mm -hmm. And burnout, as we now know, defined by the World Health Organization, is the result of chronic workplace, workplace stress that has been unsuccessfully managed. And at the time of writing, the World Health Organization um, didn't give it the definition that they gave in 2019. I published the book in 2017. I started work on, working on it in 2014. And at the time, the conversations around burnout were dramatically uh, uh, lower in volume and fewer in terms of uh, just total, total conversations about burnout. So when in 2019, the World Health Organization up, upgraded the definition and then paired that with their declaration that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century, I, I, ha, like I got chills in my body because I was like, wow, man, I've been trying to say this for years and I've been able to reach my immediate friends, my immediate family, my coworkers, and all of the people who have been so generous with their time, energy, and attention by purchasing the book, by reading it, by trading it. There's people in the world, maybe there's thousands, maybe there's 10,000, I don't know, who, are, who have been able to, before the World Health Organization reclassified burnout, see this for the problem that it is. This was such a big problem that I, honestly, I, I didn't want to write this book. I, I didn't even want to do the talk. This, when you look at my trajectory, when you look at my LinkedIn, you clearly see that this was a digital marketer, a marketing and communications professional who was working in education. So in some ways, this whole tangent of burnout is just that, it's a tangent. It was something that was unplanned that happened very organically. Because I burned out and I was told by doctors that I could no longer subject myself to the levels of stress that I had previously endured. Otherwise, it might be fatal the next time around. So here I was, Mr. Productive, having to confront the reality that for the foreseeable future, at least, I could no longer be as productive. So I had to really think about what is it that I needed to do to prevent myself from relapsing, but also how could I actually get more done or the same amount of work done mm -hmm. with my newfound constraints. And what I discovered, my man, is that there were actually diminishing returns that I thought I was being productive and I had a lot of outputs, but very few outcomes. Uh -huh. And I love that. You have to prioritize calm over crazy. Forgive me for getting, for using that word. 
calm over crazy. Cause we always use that word. We throw it around all the time. It's crazy at work. It's crazy at school. How are things? Oh, Amr, it's crazy. Hamza, how are things? Oh man, it's crazy. Don't ask. But yeah. being busy, being that frantic has diminishing returns. And I think is inversely proportional to the level of success that for example, Bill Gates has. Yeah. You think Bill Gates feels crazy busy? No, quite the opposite. Like you said, he takes that 10-day retreat yeah. and he's calm and he's collected and he's allowing that mental elasticity to sort of re revert back to a really calm, grounded, present state. He reads books and then is able to apply himself to mm -hmm. high cognitive, creative tasks and projects that dramatically move work forward versus the rest of us who are kind of just like ducks who appear placid and calm on the surface, but are frantically paddling our feet below the water. So... That's why I wrote the book. I wrote this book as a, a recovery exercise for me, as a way to process what had happened, but also as a warning, also as a solution to, you know, honestly, not just the people in my life that I care about, but I knew that someday I would have to read this book again. So I wanted to capture in that moment the things that I knew were true that could allow somebody to reduce the frequency of, of and not frequency and frequency too, but reduce the likelihood of stressful events in their life, but also diminish and reduce the uh, impact of stressful mm -hmm. events on their life, which I think are the two dual components of the model that I encapsulated in the book, the dragon method. So there's that man. No, man, that's amazing. I mean, if I, if I understand, like you have shared with us so much of your personal story and it's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, you basically went from being this procrastinator one one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum like where you were overcompensating for that procrastination by being extra extra quote unquote productive or that hustler mentality right and that led to you burning out and you realize that it was you, your outcomes were diminishing they were diminishing returns you had outputs but there were not enough outcomes. And I really like how you phrase that. So, you know, for those of you listening, it's important to focus not just on your outputs, but focus on what are you achieving? Like, what are your outcomes? And that's Amen. so well said, man. That's really well said. Um, you know, you also spoke about the, um, you know, um, pivoting from being, from, uh, from crazy to being calm, right? And I agree with you absolutely agree with you i meet so many people working professionals youth um even parents like hey how's it going how, how are you doing oh man omar i can't tell you it's so crazy it's like wh why tell me hamza tell me a little bit more why do people why are they so inclined to just going to that word crazy like why is everything so crazy and number one why are they why is that happening and number two give us some tips or, you know, how they can move from transition from crazy to calm. Ooh, buddy, you're going to get an exclusive here. Um, I, I am in the process of writing a new book. It's a book on leadership. I, I have to submit the manuscript to my publisher by July 15th. And it has Good been luck. an eye opening experience, man. It's been an eye opening experience. I didn't see myself writing this book, but when COVID-19 happened, I felt compelled to explore this topic. The project that I was exploring just before COVID-19 hit, though, is a radical one. And in the two instances that I did present it, it had an unbelievable, unbelievable reaction. I mean, mm -hmm. usually when I finish, finish a keynote talk, I have like 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people tops come up to me afterwards and you know say, Hamza, that message really resonated with me. I did a keynote the top of the year where I went off script and I talked about the idea I'm going to discuss with you right now. And I swear to God, like half the room came up to me afterwards. Tell and me. they were just like, Hamza, yeah. I needed to hear that. Thank you so much. Why, why didn't I hear this years ago? And they asked me for my card, my books. And I was like, wow, I found something here. But it's a very unpopular opinion with my contemporaries. I think... I think that this traditional notion of being busy as an indicator of success was a lie all along. That we were trained, and I know you and I, Omar, were similar in age. We've been in work environments where we had to manage optics, where we had to appear busy. We had to always carry something when walking to and from meetings. We had to log in at a certain time. We had to respond in a certain way. We had to appear like we had it together, even though we might not be doing anything all day. And I think now in COVID-19, when people are working from home, a lot of people are realizing that, hey, you know, I'm actually more productive when I'm at home because I don't have to worry about all of that stuff. And leaders are just like scratching their heads thinking, wow, how are my people just as if not more productive than when I had to observe them and look at them physically in the office and make sure that they were there. So the, the thesis that I have is this, and I'm still working on it. It's a myth that I suspect has been nefariously pushed down by certain agents of chaos to further reinforce their position. That's a lot to take in, but I think that there are especially like the, 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 the 1%, the elite the people who, the higher up you go the food chain, and no, Omar, you've seen this as well. The more you've progressed in your own career, the less work you do. So it's not a stretch to imagine that the nth degree of that, if you achieve a level of wild success at the top of the mountain, you're not actually doing a lot of work. You're actually doing so few things that to someone like who we were at the beginning of our careers, we look at that and we think, why am I working this hard? And I think that the reason why that myth has perpetuated itself is to create more value, create more value and wealth and productivity that feeds upstream. And it's good for the boss, it's good for the CEO, it's good for the shareholders, but it's terrible for the workers who are actually yeah. producing. So I think that burnout, I have mistakenly calculated in the past that burnout is a personal problem, but I think it is actually a leadership problem. And that's going to be the thesis, the crux of my next project. No, I love that. Now you're piecing together your previous project, your burnout book, the thesis over there with the, with the leadership component right. of it, right? right? And I think that's brilliant because I do agree with what you just said, that burnout is not an individual problem. It's not a team problem. It's like a leadership issue. And that makes people uncomfortable, what, man. Uh, leaders yeah. don't want to hear that. Absolutely. And I know there are a lot of leaders that I know who, um, you know, in, pre in, in previous life, they were not very fond of people working from home, for example. And now with the current circumstances, you know, it has just changed a lot of perception. It has unveiled the truth behind what real productivity in a way is as well. Right. 100%. And yeah, I completely agree with the fact that I feel more productive now when I'm at home. Right. I don't know what I still haven't been able to pinpoint what part of it is exactly it is. But I think you, you kind of helped me in a way because, you know, you, I'm not I'm not worried about managing the optics anymore. And I'm there's two focused. other Sorry, there's yeah. two other principles that that underpin that. Right. So there's decision fatigue and ego depletion. You're making fewer decisions 
So you have much more uh, mental capacity and then uh, decision fatigue. Um, sorry, did I, did, I say, did I already say that? Decision no. fatigue and what was the other one that I just mentioned right now? You said the decision fatigue. I forgot the other one. That just goes to show that at 6.30 p.m. on a Thursday, I'm experiencing <laughs> myself. But, but, but the, fact that, the fact remains is that by working from home, you are in much more control of your most valuable yeah. uh, resource, which is your time that mm-hmm. you then use to generate energy, which you then focus into attention. And that gives you the capacity that you need to get anything done. When you no longer have to worry about what to eat in the morning, uh, you know, making, at, making it out the door at a certain time to catch the go train, um, you know, the person that is beside you that's taking up an extra seat and you want to have that difficult conversation about moving over your leg a little bit. Think about these are just some of the things that happen before you even show up to work. Mm. Then when you go to work, there's a whole new set of stimuli and there's people and there's distractions, there's lunch breaks and you got to go home afterwards. You cut all of that out when you're working from home. And so you have this pure refined, unadulterated eight hours a day that you can really use to just slink into deep work and just move things forward like you've never been able to do before. And for leaders to ignore that after the virus, for leaders who insist on coming into the office, especially if you're a knowledge worker, and especially if you are a leader of knowledge workers, I just don't know how that's going to fly. I think that you're going to see a, a raised level of consciousness in the modern knowledge worker that will not put up with a leader that is subpar. I think so too. Absolutely. That is, that is very well. I, I'm not sure about that either. Like how, um, how that leader will be perceived. And I don't think they're going to make it, man. I, I hate to say it. Like, I think that, that, that style of leadership, command and control autocratic leaders, it's on its last breath. It's going to go back to what you said, right? Like great leaders are ones who are able to predict the future. And if, and if this is it's not even prediction anymore, you can see it, it's live. And if you're still unable to change and pivot and, um, you know, change your perspective and mindset. Yeah. it's not going to work out, especially now right. with the millennia, millennials and Gen Z coming into the workforce. Yep. It's, it's, it's a workforce that's really, really changing at a very fast pace. Well so, said. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hamza. I want to thank you for being on this show, sharing some amazing insights, man. This was, I just had a blast. I didn't even realize what time, how much time has passed. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. Absolutely wonderful chatting with you always. I want to, you know, say like, if you have anything else to add, anything else to share, please feel free. The floor is open to you. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine, man. Thank you so much. Like you, uh, you have an exceptional quality as a, as a host as I've mentioned before we even went live and and I hope that you get to see it as well as clearly as I do, that you have the ability to listen and ask great questions that allow people to dig deep and, and, and really speak from the heart. Um, Anything else I want to add? Yeah, man. Like, uh, thank you, by the way, (laughs) I I really appreciate it. And I, I, I think you and I, we said this earlier as well. Like, it's just, we are just on a journey. You and I and everybody else, we are all on this journey towards our own personal success, not just 100%. in our professional lives, but in our uh, personal, personal lives and professional lives, both. Right? 100%. So, and, and, I'll, and I'll just add to that very quickly. There, there is a silver lining in this pandemic. And I imagine that, you know, following your, your release schedule, this is going to be released while we're still in quarantine, while there's still restrictions, while we're in this new normal. But, but know that there is something that has happened here that I think is really special. It's a secret to greatness, if you will. I think that we have all had an involuntary confrontation 
with what's essential. You know, I once read that the quality of one's life can be measured by how they feel when they're doing nothing, right? One more time, the quality of your life and my life, Omer, is how we feel when we're doing nothing. This pandemic, at least for the first few days, put us all in a state of limbo. We were doing nothing, literally. Um, And in those moments, we felt vulnerable. We had to come to terms with areas of our lives, uh, you know, especially in terms of career and finances, where we were exposed to a lot of risk. I felt it, you felt it, all the listeners felt it, and we all, at least subconsciously, made notes about what needed to be fixed. Deep down, we all know what we need to do to never feel this exposed again. And this is happening at a, micro, at a macro level with our institutions, but also at a micro level with us as individuals. So I hope that people are able to really just get real and, and silence out all the external voices about the work that needs to be done, personally, professionally, and academically. And may this COVID-19 gift of time give you just that, the time that you need to roll up your sleeves and move that endeavor forward, whatever that endeavor is. I'm into um, that. You know, if, 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 if people come out of this the same way that they went in, I think they've missed a huge opportunity. Thank you so much, Hamza, for your time. You've provided amazing insights on leadership, productivity. We spoke about burnout. I mean, it was, it was just amazing. I learned a lot and I know for a fact that each and every one of you who's watching this episode, you guys have learned a lot as well. This has been awesome. Thank you so much once again, Hamza. This is me, your host, Omar Qadri, signing off. Don't forget to subscribe and click the thumbs up button. What you just learned has given you new knowledge, but knowledge is not power. It is potential power. It only becomes power when you activate your learning. I invite you to leave a review with your learnings from this episode. You can also take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your favorite social media channel with your feedback, comments, questions, and learnings. And tag me at I am Omar Padri. Because when you synthesize your learning by writing them down, you transport them from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode to learn better and grow faster.